0: What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you another week of what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat and joined by my co-host Dave Martin, Swagger Dave, Emmys. Award season? It always sneaks up on me, man. Always does.
1: Yeah, especially this year, COVID Emmys. There's just less TV to nominate. Mm-hmm. So, let's nominate Hamilton again. Good Why stuff.
0: Enough. Hey, uh, Disney Plus, uh, the... They 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 knew what they were doing with it. That's why they they released it early. They're like, oh, perfect. This is gonna just live on forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got a lot to talk about today, though. We have a couple albums, a couple TV shows, and Marvel back in theaters for the first time in two years, I guess. So uh, I guess maybe like eighteen ish months, right?
1: Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home would be the last one, right? Yeah, and that was. July 2019 two years two
0: years jeez yeah crap. it's been
1: some other superhero stuff of course from DC and the new mutants but yeah Marvel
0: back at last on the big screen and uh, we're gonna talk about it all so if you're listening on YouTube hit that subscribe go to soundcloud.com/ nostalgia pod and follow the pod any way you want to and also on Twitter where we uh tweet out things that aren't necessarily talked about on the pod. At Nostalgia Pod. Um, but let's start with those Emmys, Dave. We got the nominations. There's a lot of, like you said, a lot of new nominations. You know, the, the some of the shows that have won in past years either ended, weren't, you know, didn't put shows out last year for one reason or another. COVID Emmys, like you said. So there's I think there's a lot to dig into in terms of nominations, but what stood out to you just in general right away?
1: <sighs> hmm. I think what stood out to me is just I was not not like I had no negative thoughts, you know. It's always quick to get reactionary about snubs and uh mistakes and whatnot. I'm like, yeah, there, you can find some mistakes. Like, I'm not a fan of giving Hamilton more awards just to just to do it when there's other people you can be awarding for the first time. Mm-hmm. Alas. Yeah, I think that it look, looks pretty good to me. And like you said, there's a lot of shows that are not in the mix only one of the comedy series nominations was previously nominated and that's the Kaminsky method which is not even that popular of a of a a comedy for netflix Mm -hmm. drama same thing the last last year's winner succession obviously has not yet returned therefore cannot be nominated uh the only previous winner this time around that's nominated is the handmaid's tale so it's a lot of new blood And that's cool. And, you know, you think like big picture, Netflix probably has their best chance yet to win one of the big awards, namely best drama with the crown. Uh, Famously, they got beat to the punch as a streamer when Hulu won for Handmaids a few years back. And Netflix keeps getting lots and lots of nominations. but They don't have that big prize yet, but you got to figure the time is finally here with the crown
0: yeah the crown feels like this could be it although we said the same thing about you know John Hamm when he was up against Cranston all those years of Breaking Bad like there was just going to be a year right um but you know in recent years the Americans did break through um in uh what was that the year when Game of Thrones wasn't in it finally or something like that yes the? exactly yeah. So, um you know maybe this this is going to work out for the crown you know I think just kind of scrolling through the list. I mean, that you're, there's always going to be some things you can, you know, squabble with. Like for example, you look in the comedy series Emily in Paris, a widely panned show, especially as we talk about the relationship that it has with the Hollywood foreign press at the really? Golden Globes. You know, there's yeah, there's going to be something to be said there. But you know, for that category, 1015 fifteen Ted Lasso, pretty inspired picks, I would say. Um, limited series. I don't think there's anything wrong with this series at all. I mean, uh, all five of these are worthy. It's stacked as fuck, is what I it don't is. even. Yeah, how do you pick? How do you pick out of these five? I may destroy you, Mayor of Easttown, the Queen's Gambit, the Underground Railroad, and Wandavision. We have reviews on all of these, so go check that out. So, I don't know, man. I, I, I agree with you. I think this is actually a pretty good nomination year. Um, I, I want to just shout out that in the lead actress in a drama series MJ Rodriguez yep. first uh, transgender actor to get a nomination in a lead category which is pretty cool um, for yep. Pose mm-hmm. so, uh, Pose continues to be a show that's breaking down some of these uh, walls within the awards season at least at the Emmys um, any other things that stood out to you? I'm really pumped to see Hacks getting a lot of love in here
1: yeah, that's awesome. A uh, double nom for Gene Smart, also a supporting nom for Mayor of Easttown as well as Lead mm-hmm. for Hacks. That's great. Um, yeah, love it. Uh, thinking of, like you said, comedy series and you have Emily and Paris there. try trying to think, like con- like this was kind of the talk going in. Comedy series is kind of thin this year mm-hmm. in terms of stuff you could pick. Like I know people like Girls 5eva on Peacock. I haven't seen it. But that's the only thing that kind of like immediately comes to mind for me. I mean, you're, you do have like Cobra Kai is getting in. That's a popular yeah. show, but not the most critically adored show. So uh, they, they did what they could, I feel like, you know, um, I, I guess a made for love on HBO Max. Now that we know mm-hmm. that's not a limited series that has been renewed. I guess that's something that I would have liked to see here. I also would have loved to see in drama industry which uh, Mm. just doesn't feel like it had the push, but maybe in future seasons, that's something that HBO and BBC could uh, get done. That'd be cool. Um, There's a lot of love for Lovecraft Country, notably a show that got a polarizing reception, but also more importantly, has been canceled already.
0: And it's got a ton of nominations for HBO. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of glad to see Lovecraft Country get some love because I think they took some big swings, and I really appreciate the everything that went into that. Um, but yeah, very strange timing to see it get so much love when it's not coming back. Um, you know, one one nomination that stands out, and I think could be interesting to watch. So obviously Conan O'Brien wrapped up his talk show very recently, um, and and that we didn't talk about that, but I watched the final episode. And just kind of seeing Conan's uh, influence on that industry and just his comedic influence over the past now three decades, um, pretty remarkable. But in the Variety Talk series, it's almost always last week's night with John Oliver. It's actually become a bit of a running joke among everybody in the category. But I wonder if maybe Conan could sneak in this year and get a little bit of that legacy love. What do you think? Yeah, that'd be cool. They, yeah. they again didn't honor
1: Jesus and Marrow. So that's like, I think the next best thing is to yeah. just try and go against the grain at least a little bit. Um, thinking of other stuff here. Um, I mean, just look at it the most nominated shows. Crown being tied for the most makes sense 24. Mm-hmm. But then you have The Mandalorian at 24, WandaVision at 23. Uh, I expected them to be here, but I didn't expect them to be quite that strong. Lots been made of the networks the company breakdown of total nominations and when you add up all the subsequent uh, streamers and networks disney is technically number one because of course they just have you know the volume there between abc and hulu and disney plus but seven uh, breaking it down to actual service hbo just edges out netflix 130 129 i don't expect fully expect hbo to actually win the most like they do every year but netflix does have the uh quantity uh side of the equation down we know that at this point it's kind of funny to look at like look lower though right quibi now owned by uh roku of all people like the roku content is owned by uh the quibi content is owned by roku quibi since canceled got eight nominations which is more than paramount plus peacock amc and showtime like no one would have picked
0: that no definitely not um yeah the the breakdown is really interesting and you can kind of see you know obviously netflix i think you mentioned had the record-breaking year last year of 160 didn't get um ne- you know nearly as many this year 31 less but it's going to be netflix and hbo max with disney plus slowly creeping up into the conversation i think dominating and then you know these smaller ones getting the uh you know kind of pulling pulling up the rear so to speak you know just wanted to give a couple more shout outs on the nominations that I really was pleased to see Giancarlo Esposito, the Mandalorian. uh, Awesome. Mm-hmm. Just great to see him getting recognized. Um, also Bowen Yang from SNL um, who there was a lot of controversy, not necessarily related to him, but to another potential cast member. We don't need to necessarily um, mm-hmm. dive into that, but I think it's nice just to see him. He's been one of the clear standouts on that show. Um, so it's, you know you don't really get a lot of people standing out in snl nowadays so it's nice to see them get uh recognized when they do um and yeah also just kind of going through some of these like carl weathers got nominated for mandalorian so timothy oliphant which is pretty cool for guest actor um there's just some some really fun nominations Mm -hmm. on here so i think this is maybe a year where people can dive in and be like oh I watched that over this past year because I was did nothing but stay inside and probably watch TV. And it's nice to see those things get recognized. So um, any early picks for um, comedy series? Because I think you're leaning crown for drama, right?
1: Right. right. Yeah. We'll do our full predictions. YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod shortly before the Emmys air uh, and towards the end of September. Yeah. Drama uh, for the crown, for sure. Comedy. Hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like I don't have a good handle on it right now. Flight attendant got some globes love, right? Um, actually, you know, never mind. The most nominated show in this category is Ted
0: Lasso. Probably Ted Lasso will just run away with this. Yeah, I was leaning that way too. I think it's actually like a three horse race. I think Hacks, Ted Lasso, and maybe Blackish just because it's been on so long, kind of a right. mainstay in the category at this point. So always, always there. But yeah, we're going to be doing our predictions as it gets closer. Uh, what's the date of this?
1: Uh, the nineteenth of September. Yes. Uh, two, actually, two you months. know, think of the, ha- the Hamilton of it all. Hamilton getting a lot of love in the the acting categories for limited series or movie. One thing that one piece of uh, you know uh, nom- something you can nominate that got edged out in the process is Small Acts, which is completely ignored here. Man, this whole big thing about what is Small Acts? Oscars, Emmys, movies, TV. And yet, it turns out, something super excellent got recognized
0: by neither body. And Crazy. that's just a mistake, obviously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Steve McQueen just breaking the minds of award nominators everywhere. So, go check out Small Axe. Really great. Um, why, don't we, why don't we move on, though, to some music now. And we're going to be talking about two, two rappers today. We're going to start with IDK. Um, who, you know, London uh, rapper, but with American parents. um Grew up in Bowie, Maryland. I'm reading his Wikipedia as we go here, because so I was like, "What? Where is he from?" I don't know if there's a sound necessarily that I would associate with him, other than this guy sounds like Kanye to me. And I, I texted you about this, and not only does he sound like Kanye, I think in terms of his vocals, but I think in terms of some of his production choices some of the words he uses uh some of the choices he made on this album i, I hear a lot of kanye influence on this second album um he has a bunch of mixtapes so i guess we can probably squabble with what's an official album or not but this is his official second album you see for yourself um what did you think just first listen to this
1: uh, yeah, I was overall impressed with it. Having listened to a lot of IDK stuff leading up to this, and you know, you bringing up where he's from, he's never someone I like associated with having like DMV rap flows the way I think of other rappers from the area, like Gold Link or Shy Glizzy mm-hmm. or someone. He doesn't really have that. He's his hallmark, especially lately, has been that he's like a bit of a chameleon. He does lots of different things, and I think in the past the uh. Uh, overwhelming ambition of like his, you know, Sonics has hurt his albums from time to time. Not that they are bad, but just almost unfocused. And this time, I still think it's quite sprawling, but I think he's just executing better. The results are just stronger now. And you can definitely hear uh, Kanye uh, comparisons mm-hmm. on some tracks that's that's not debatable. You know, that that's an yeah. <laughs> obvious influence, and perhaps also his ability to uh, you know, genre flip a little bit. You can nod nod to Kanye there as well. Uh, yeah, I, I liked it though. I didn't expect like to, th- to hear IDK have like a, a jump, you know, and a level up. But I do think he did because I think just the the quality
0: standard has just been raised in a lot of these songs. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I I really thought this was an album that flowed pretty well. It's a it's a bit long, I'll say, but overall, I didn't really feel like it had a Severe drop off, and there's a lot of fun uh, features on this. People that just kind of drop in and like provide a a spark, you know. Something like Keto with Sway Lee and Rico Nasty in the second half of the album really jumped out to me. I think just hearing Sway Lee like made my ears perk up, and then Rico Nasty kind of comes in with that versa. Uh, I guess kind of bring it home. Um, I thought Hey Auntie with Slick Rick was. Uh, a nice song to kind of round out the album. And also in the beginning, uh, Prada, uh, Prada, Dada, Bang. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. That's it. Um, With Young Thug, I thought also was a standout for me. Um, So I I really think he brought some really great energy just all throughout. And like you said, the genre flipping also sticks out because I think, you know, at times it sounds a bit uh, trap Ish, at least in some of the, the drums. Sometimes it sounds a bit more I don't know if experimental is the right way to say it, but he's definitely trying some stuff and, and it, it always kind of kept me guessing, which I thought I really appreciated. Um you talk about that jump though. What did you hear that made you feel like he had that jump? Any specifics?
1: Yeah, yeah I just think the songs are better, you know? Shoot my shot featuring offset. That's just a really catchy flow. It sounds good. That's the song you can point to for uh Kanye sound. Uh, it just yeah. you know the the vocal delivery just reminds you of Kanye rapping. but I think the song I think the song's a banger, you know uh, mm-hmm. in general, this is his second album on Warner Records. They seem to have given him a nice budget because it's a robust feature list, yeah. I mean, in addition to plenty of you know of his contemporaries getting M f. Doom and Slick Rick and J electronica people don't just do that you know like i I feel like that that should mean something didn't care for jlx uh my third eye is huge lines all that much (laughs) but i think that song with, with doom and uh west side gun red was pretty good so yeah i mean i guess just later on hearing i don't know hearing like uh like was it hook is it no uh he just had so he had a bunch of songs i just i thought like his delivery was just like quite tight and maybe he doesn't blow you away but like i feel like he just he just deserves more attention than he gets and i think warner giving him that budget for like really strong features suggests that they agree and they want to push idk and make him a bigger rapper because he definitely can back it up with songs
0: yeah no he definitely can yeah you know a song that also stood out to me and i appreciated uh taking a bit of the um ugk international players uh start you know where he's like so i typed a text on peloton and it it automatically puts you in that mindset and then it's a more like gospel-y type rap song i just thought that was like a really smart interpolation and i think he really tries to mesh together some of that old school you know you, you mentioned mf doom it's like Rick, people like that with, I think, some more modern uh sounds and flows. And I, I think this really works. So I think if you're looking for an album that surprised me, um I think a lot of people would enjoy. Not every song's a hit. I'd recommend this one. Um Which song do you think we should put on the playlist? Yeah, so I really like Shoot My
1: Shot. On the other hand, some people might really like uh Puerto Rico, which I think is great. You know, example of idk singing it's yeah. very different you know but it works uh hey auntie probably would get a lot of attention lyrically just because of uh you know what he's telling everyone about his personal experiences mm-hmm. and stuff and laying laying it out there uh moments so the like rick uh and then even stuff that's maybe just you know lower stakes like 10 feet or keto like there's a lot there's a lot of stuff to pick from i think
0: for sure. Uh, check out our Nostalgia Best of 2021 on Spotify to follow all that along. Dave, Vince Staples also released an album this weekend, self-titled Vince Staples. Uh, same length as his last album, FM, which we talked about. Check out that review, SoundCloud SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod, and more importantly, YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. But did this one work for you? To the level that fm did because so i think we both really liked fm right
1: loved fm had it on the top 10 albums of 2019 yeah, yeah loved it and self-titled fourth album from vince definitely didn't sound the way i expected you know uh and i still like it but i don't like it as much as some of his other stuff but that's really just because it's different and i think it just takes some getting used to because a lot of the hallmarks of a vince staples performance in terms of the darkness yet wittiness of his introspective uh self-referential lyricism it's all still there it's just sonically you know this is produced all by kenny beats but it's not the most showy or out there kenny project fm also produced all by kenny beats uh definitely had like a really clear west coast influence of course you know with the radio stuff and all that but vince staples it, it's it's almost self-titled it's almost understated and you kind of got to almost focus on what vince is doing so i think i still think it's good but it's not what i was expecting and it's not like a lot of my favorite vince songs mm-hmm. that makes sense
0: yeah i just want to clean up real quick so fm was actually 2018 that was 2018 our bed, but um, yeah, I agree. You know, I when I first put this on, I was like, I had to go drive around, run a couple of errands, and I was like, Oh, this is good driving around the town music, like Vince Staples. Let's get some bangers going, let's get some energy going. And uh, it, it really was not what I was expecting in that sense, and I found it to be a lot more subdued. Um, and you know, to have any beats back for this and to get something that's so different from FM, um. I think Vince was really trying to obviously do something different. I think he executed pretty well because the, the songs still sound really good, I think, but like you, I don't know if this is the, the Vince I'm going to find myself going back to right away. I think I'm going to definitely go more towards Big Fish Theory or FM um, before I'm reaching for the self-titled album. But why don't we talk about what, what you felt like worked for you with this? What were the, like the moments or the the choices that you liked?
1: Yeah, just a lot of a lot of bars about Vince like being scared to meet his fans for fear of the intentions of his fans, you know, uh the skit about uh leaving a party and basically avoiding legal issues you know there's tons of just little moments anecdotes about vince's previous life uh, you know surviving on the streets in north long beach that are that feel familiar you know it sounds like vince um mm-hmm. i think where that manifested the best for me is probably my favorite song on this would be sundown town the third track um conversely i think he does do some new things right the first track are you with that he's doing the hook you know, mm-hmm. that's some more melodic stuff. That's not really what we expect of Vince. But because this production is uh, more understated, it's not big in-your-face uh, electronic stuff like Big Fish Theory, and it's not like classic, you know, West Coast Bounce like FM, Vince almost needs to do more with his performance on these songs. I think a song like Are You With That, because he's really controlling the the whole melody. Uh, also works but just new for him
0: yeah uh, I think Sundown Town like you mentioned really stands out to me Um, I agree also I think Vince really balances on this being super introspective and pretty blunt about some hard topics you know are you with that he's talking about you know losing childhood friends and the the pain that he kind of sits with with that and then at the, at the next line he's saying fill these voids or fill my bank it's uh pretty much him kind of jumping back and forth between the the fun upbeat Vince and the kind of the goofster in a, in a sense to being the introspective and pretty devastating Vince as well it's um, something I think he does pretty well and I I also think the understated production. It still is really good. Obviously, it's Kenny Beats level, so um, you, you're getting some good stuff. But even that first track, are you with that? I thought just the uh, the bass on that was just so like chest shaking, but also like pretty like intricate. And then having the the synths kind of like swaying around in the background really added this like cool feel to the start of the album. I think it kind of set the tone. Um, like I meant, like I said, Sundown Town also really stood out to me. And then something like Take Me Home in the second half, I also thought was pretty good. I mean, this is a quick album, only twenty two minutes, so it's it goes by quick. Um, but Take Me Home stands out because it has a Huchet uh, like uh, forest hook to it that I think really just stands like makes it stand out from the other ones. Any other tracks that stood out to you or that you liked?
1: I think those are most of them, but even though it's short, it still rewards lots of listens because there's some dense verses from Vince here, like you expect. He's telling you a lot. It's actually a lot like Summertime O his first album in that regard. So
0: hmm.
1: you know, it might not. It, does it have a North North on on uh, this album? No, but I mean, there's still a lot to like. Vince is clearly a top tier rapper, and even though people really like him for his social media presence and, you know, just his general funny demeanor and I think wry sense of humor, his best stuff is still his music. You know, it's not going to twist that he's really good. Yeah.
0: He's still, you know, top tier, Um, maybe not top, top tier, but yeah, up there for sure. Check it out and we'll probably put a song on our nostalgia best of 2021. But Dave, let's move into TV and maybe my most anticipated, show of the year uh honestly because i think you should leave with tim robinson season two dropped this past tuesday week from we week go today and season one of i think you should leave was a show i came to late in 2019 when that dropped yeah that's right and it was a, it's a show that honestly has grown on me and become one of my favorite shows of the past three years um a sketch comedy show. Tim Robinson was a writer for SNL. He he was in a few skits, you can see him, but never like a star in any of them. And he pretty much the the hook for why you should watch is it's basically all the rejected skits that he wanted to make that were too weird or people didn't think were gonna work for network television, and he put them all on Netflix and it is absurd and loud. And ridiculous, uh, and I think one of the most rewatchable shows, probably of the last decade or two. Um, and you know, it, it kind of got announced a little fanfare about a month ago that this was coming back. But there, you know, the accounts online that are big, I think you should leave. We're very excited for a lot of energy from the fan base, and I think season two, while not being as consistently uh, excellent as season one still has a ton of hilarious sketches and this is also a show that the more you watch it really rewards you like i said rewatchability level is high with this so even no matter how how you feel to the first watch it's about that second or third one when you go back to a certain sketch you notice a detail so um i wanted to just check in with you have you watched any of i think you should leave something came out
1: no i haven't i've seen a maybe like a clip or a Jif here or there online but now I have watched it I see it as a robust uh, guest star list like, each episode seems to have a fellow famous person alongside Tim mm-hmm. do, you, do you have a favorite one do you think the guests were better or worse this time around it's always tough uh, when you know sketch continues to come back and it like, will lose its freshness that doesn't surprise me to hear you say that but yeah how do you feel
0: about like the supporting players this time yeah, it's funny because uh, when I think about the show, I don't always think about the the guest stars. And in the first season, you have Stephen Young, Will Will Forte, uh, Fred Willard, R.I.P. Cecily Strong, um, Andy Samberg. You know, so you, some big names, and you you really only get maybe a, a handful here. You got Bob Bodenkirk, Paul Walter Hauser, um, and then Julia Butters. <laughs> It, it, it just would not expect to have a child star you know on the show right. um but the, obviously like the cast of characters sam richardson patty harrison um zach keenan who he you know is co-writer co and co-producer of the show um and uh, a couple others are, are repeats of so this connor o'malley being one um i think Bob Odenkirk sketch stands out as probably one of the best guest appearances. Uh, Stephen Yoon, I think is by far the best one. His uh, poop receipt sketch in the first season is probably one of my top 10 favorite sketches from this show. And he's just so good in it. But uh, Bob Odenkirk in his sketch plays a guy at a uh, diner and Tim Robinson is talking with his daughter and says oh you know we can't go get dessert because in the winter time they close down the ice cream shops shops is too cold and he looks over at bob odenkirk to play along and then bob odenkirk just takes this scenario to the hundredth level which is just fantastic and he does it to perfect odenkirk level um also Ezra Koenig uh from vampire weekend is credited <laughs> as being a guest star but he actually just co-wrote a song and this is a uh, surprisingly a show that has a lot of s- original songs in it um from the first and second season um but yeah i think it just kind of a quick run through i want to give my top five sketches and if uh, people are checking out this review leave what you think the top five from season two are um the first one the hot dog skipping lunch sketch uh absolutely absolutely hilarious starts the season off on a great foot Um, I mentioned the Bob Odenkirk sketch really liked that one. The driving instructor is like getting a lot of praise from critics online as probably being the standout sketch from this season. I think Patty Harrison (laughs) is just absolutely hilarious as she is, uh, this in a driving instructor video and try, no one can understand what she does for a living, but it keeps coming up as like a central plot to it. Um, also, CalicoCutPants.com. Great sketch um, where you have to pay it forward. And if you watch the show, you obviously know that it refers to and then, sloppy steaks, dangerous nights. People can change, Dave. That's what Ezra Koenig wanted you to know. People can change. Um, I think you should leave as a show that you should check out, even if you're really not into this, because it's only six episodes and 15 minutes each. So you can get through the show in an hour and a half, sitting and if you don't like it dave you don't ever have to watch again it's an hour and a half hour and a half of your life that uh you won't get back and i apologize for that but i think you'll like it so (laughs) that that's going to be my my homework to you is to watch that before the uh end of the year all right fair enough (laughs) Why why don't we move on to something that we both watched though which is white lotus on hbo um you you kind of uh turned me on to this where how did you come about this?
1: I think I just saw on the calendar. Honestly, I didn't have a uh, whole lot of knowledge going in. I didn't even watch the trailer, and you know, just thinking about it, uh, created by Mike White, whose last show for HBO Enlighten had Laura Dern. It's like about ten years old. I actually didn't really have a relationship with him. I knew him as like a supporting character in School of Rock. I didn't realize he actually just wrote lots of stuff, including School of Rock. Um, and now this is his second show for HBO, pitched during the pandemic, set at a fictional Hawaiian resort featuring the resort staff and some wealthy patrons visiting the resort. And through one episode of, this, of Six, I think uh, it's a pretty solid hook. Some familiar faces in the cast. Alexandra Daddario, Natasha Rothwell, Sydney Sweeney, uh, Connie Britton. You know, it's, it's There's people we know. But yeah, I think I think it it's definitely uh, intriguing through an episode.
0: Yeah, you didn't even mention Steve Zahn, who just goes full frontal in the first episode. That's right. Just a close-up of his uh, Franks and Beans. And uh, man, I, I agree with you. I think this is a show that really came out of nowhere for me like i kind of alluded to i'm i'm totally in after this first episode there's a lot of intrigue i think the tone of the show seems like there's a lot of like there's almost a like kind of a mystery to this right like what's gonna go wrong what's gonna be awful you know they they start off by uh saying that there was a body being loaded onto the plane out and so you're like okay, someone might die, some, there might be a, a murder involved potentially, maybe something else. It seems like there's going to be a lot of really funny aspects to the show um, while also balancing some pretty tough topics it seems like, you know, potentially um, uh, cancer um, and, and you know, a diagnosis like that. Um, it sounds like there's uh, Fred Hetchinger, Fred Hetchinger uh, plays a um, young man who's on the autism spectrum, and it uh, sounds like that's going to be a part of contention, or at least something going on with Nicole and Mark, uh, played by obviously County Britton and Steve Zahn, like we mentioned, um, and then all the stuff with Jake Lacey and Alexandria Daddario. Um, really interesting in that, and then the interplay of Sydney Sweeney and Natasha Rothwell with Alexandria Daddario. Uh, very interesting. Set up any. Which of the storylines are you most invested in?
1: Yeah, you know, I feel like people criticize this a lot now. It starts in media res, like you said. And you know, when they flash back to uh, one week later, whatever it was. Don't know if I need to know that somebody is going to die uh, in the events to follow. Alas, uh, yeah, I think I actually I, I like how some of the characters are quite unlikable, right? Um, Jake Lacey is just kind of a rich prick. Yep. And I don't expect that to change, you know? Um, and he plays it well. Yeah, he does. And I I, I want to see how that relationship degrades over the show, because I'm pretty sure that's where it's going. Uh, Sydney Sweeney's really good at playing a toxic teenager, uh, as we know from Euphoria and other stuff. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I guess she also was just a nice teenager in big-time uh, adolescence as well. But she's going to play teenagers for a little while longer because she still looks quite young, even though she's in her 20s. So I think she's she's really good in that. Like, God, like the way her and her friend were dressing down uh, to the Dario at the uh, pool in the first episode is just so cringe inducing. Right. But in general, like this, this humor, it's almost like satirical, right? In terms of making fun of these really wealthy, entitled, yet helpless people that are visiting uh, the -hmm. resort. And through one episode, I also really liked uh, Murray Bartlett as Armand, the manager of the White Lotus Resort. Yeah. Uh, really fun performance.
0: Yeah, really fun performance. And also, I think the juxtaposition of Jolene per- Purdy's Lenny, the pregnant trainee at the White Lotus, um, against all these people who, like you said, are so rich and on vacation and she's working while pregnant and goes, goes into labor while working, feeling like she couldn't even share um, that this was going on for her. Cause she was afraid of getting fired. Just is like a very um, it seems like this is going to be a theme where they're kind of juxtaposing the real world people and uh, the people who are visiting. And actually just a like a quick thought is I, I think now that COVID has, you know, obviously started to, subside in certain areas as people become more vaccinated uh the travel and the tourism of hawaii is booming at the moment to the point where they're actually shutting water off to certain residents in some areas or encouraging them to stop using certain water so that they can feed the resorts. so it's actually kind of bringing to light a real world issue kind of in a sense of the tourism versus the um people living there and not not as explicitly obviously as that but um it's something to just kind of i think a nice tie in but mm. looking forward to the rest of this it's only six episodes like you said so we'll be talking about it early or mid August
1: would you go to a resort like the white lotus
0: is the resort your type of thing when going on vacation hmm. good question i've never been to one i thought about it me neither the stories i always hear are like you get out you get out of the airport and you're driving there and you just drive through some incredibly impoverished areas and um you know that i think that's hard to sit right with me in a sense you know when you're going to this resort and you kind of go through these walls and it's like oh all your problems on the all the real world problems on the other side are gone um but a lot of those areas also you know it does create jobs for people there so there's a a balance to it i suppose well why is it not your thing though
1: i just think when you go into especially Hawaii, Hawaii is such a beautiful place with so much to do to just mm-hmm. go and chill at a resort, which yeah. isn't actually that different than any other resort that you can go to. It uh, just true. feels like a waste of money to me. Like, go out and actually enjoy Hawaii, you know? Yeah. Like, that's true. Don't sit in a damn pool. Like, what's the point? <laughs> you can do that yeah. at home.
0: Yeah. You can go to a pool anywhere. I, I agree with you. That's, that's a good way to, to look at it. I know that you're also a, uh, like an avid hiker and things like that. So
1: I'm also just a fan of Airbnb,
0: you know, like why don't you stay in like a real place, you know?
1: Yeah, that's just absolutely.
0: Um, We'll be talking about white Lotus as it wraps up, but let's move on and finish up with the black widow from white Lotus to black widow, Dave. This is a movie that obviously has been held back due to COVID in terms of release. But I mean, There was talk of this movie being made back in 2014 after Age of Ultron. You know, like they this is not a like uh, something that just kind of came about Been in the works for a while. And I think when you think when you look at the cast of Avengers. And you think about. The stars who play them, we talked about Chris Evans last week, check that out, the Chris Wars. Um, It never really made sense why you wouldn't give Scarlett Johansson a movie where, you know, she's the the star, the lead. And especially when, when she can play basically James Bond. And we finally get it when we know her character is leaving the MCU. Uh, Pretty, pretty crazy to me that this is what we're getting at. But what are your thoughts just around Black Widow coming out in general? It's been a long time.
1: It's been a long time. This movie been delayed a few few instances. It's supposed to come out in May 2020. But yeah, obviously this movie is way too late and a mistake and i'm sure if they could do it again this wouldn't be the case no you have captain marvel as your first female-led superhero movie when you had scarlett johansson already there already established also played by a more famous and bankable actor in scarlett johansson over brie larson and just kind of strange you know um, and a Wonder Wonder Woman kind of like you, you would have thought this would have come out a lot sooner after what happened with Wonder Woman when Wonder Woman was so rapturously received and Gal was embraced and all that. But no, it still took all this time. And it's like, yeah, this is set between Civil War and Infinity War. Makes sense in the timeline, sure. But you know what? You know what? You know what could have happened? This just could have came out after Civil War and before Infinity War, right? Mm-hmm. Like totally. What the fuck?
0: Yeah. It's it's kind of crazy to be getting this as Scarlett Johansson's on her way out, kind of a swan song in a sense. Yeah, and also kind of crazy that she was upstaged in this movie, man. Florence Pugh stole this movie, and it's like for Scarlett, I wouldn't say she's bad in the movie, but just tough to be upstaged in your final appearance in the MCU. I right.
1: Think. Yeah, so this is Black Widow marks her seventh full appearance. Uh, full appearance. She also had a mid-credits scene for Captain Marvel, which You're clearly kidding. was just other endgame footage. So seven full appearances. And we know how great an actress ScarJo is. She just reminded everyone in 2019 with Jojo Rabbit and Marriage Story, literally double Oscar nominated. And in that sense, I'm happy to see her go from the MCU. That way she can make some other kinds of movies. But to have that talent upstaged by Florence Pugh, a t- bit of a tough scene. Uh, then again, I think anyone with a pulse at this point knows that Florence Pugh is the real deal. And yeah, now she's kind of completed it, right? Like she has her more dramatic uh, bona fides established with Little Women. She's done something a little different with Midsommar. We've seen her on TV, I'm a little drummer girl. Now she's been in a, a co star in a blockbuster and nailed it you know like what can't you do at this point
0: yeah she was just so charming in this film um as elena and um to balance this superhero uh super spy type uh role with the charm and the humor and just the overall energy that she brought was really just awesome and I, don't, I wouldn't say I loved Black Widow I think it's it's an okay MCU movie but it's just kind of come away and be like wow Florence Pugh is just continuing to like round out her career and level up it's just so fun to watch and you also kind of get a, a fun David Harbour performance you get a thankless Rachel Weiss performance um,
1: although less thankless as the movie went on
0: yes and about
1: halfway through I was like wow Rachel Weiss not doing too much
0: I, I had the exact same thought. And then when you kind of get the twist, you're like, oh, okay. Um, also, this is pretty much just a Mission Impossible movie, which I'm yeah. totally cool with. Like, And I hope the MCU just continues to do this. Just keep making movies in these different types of genres and realms. And that's why I actually really like
1: Black Widow. I'm quite high on it. I'd say it's definitely in my top half of MCU films, you know? Mm-hmm. Tough to rank something I've only seen once, but I like it a lot. And I like it because it barely felt like an MCU movie. You know? Mm-hmm. There the only like trappings of MCU-ness are William Hurts, Thunderbolt Ross barely showing up just to like move some MCU plot mechanics forward that we already well understood because again, this is taking place before the last two Avengers movies. You know, it, it's it's a movie about like spies. And it's like actually about spy stuff, you know? Yeah. I thought, yes, it has a very familiar Marvel third act, big explosions, lots of CGI and fighting and stuff, but everything actually made complete sense for the story we were getting in this movie. If anything, the weakest stuff is the beginning, just because it's a bit of a slow burn. But once Florence Pugh joins the movie,
0: uh, I think it, it, it really just
1: rips. So I, I was quite entertained.
0: Yeah, you know, I I think one of the things I would say was a detractor for me is just the absence of a really good villain in this. You know, um, you have the the taskmaster, uh, taskmaster who is uh, Antonia Drakov, and then you have Dracov, her dad, and um, I think it's it's interesting to have the uh, kind of looking at. Uh, Scarjo's natasha romanoff and being like you know kind of seeing this horrible thing that she had this decision she had to make of you know potentially killing drakov's daughter to try to kill drakov and then you know having to face that as a villain in this i think that's an interesting part but the taskmaster for the most part is a pretty one note like robotic type mm-hmm. villain and drakov is pretty much just a villain in the shadows and that is kind of like overarching and I guess comes and gives the, the exposition dump in the second half, um, but nothing really stood out to me about that. It really places the focus on family, which I think is is a good choice because if it was just about you know Black Widow versus Dreykov, the movie would have been a total mess mm-hmm. for me. But I think making it about the relationships was really. Much better choice, for sure.
1: For, yeah, and that's also why I liked it, because it felt like the villains were more of a means to an end, but also kind of fit with the rest of the movie, in that it's a story about family and, and relationships, and like your motivations to maintain or not maintain those relationships. And the villains directly played into that, even if, yeah, like, Dreykov's a bit nondescript, as far as MCU stuff goes, Taskmaster apparently a little controversially uh was quite changed from the comic origins of the character but i didn't mind because i did think it made sense in terms of servicing the story we got and i just thought that that was, that was pretty fun um you know just thinking about like actually you know, funny thing about the the villain drakov is I had, I had this thought in the theater and i saw it in some reviews Definitely gave me some like James Bond, like Moonraker vibes. Like he definitely had some Bond villain-esque stuff, which I also thought was welcome because there was tons of other spy movie, uh, you know, tropes and stylings to the story of Black Widow. So uh, I still quite liked it.
0: Well, I think uh, it probably also gave you Moonraker vibes because you, you don't you just see Moonraker at one point? She's watching it in that yeah. little shack, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they—they they definitely want to, you know, harken back to that uh, type of film. Uh, I think overall, this is probably somewhere in like the maybe like ten to fifteen range for me. I, I would have to go back and actually like list them all mm-hmm. out. It's, yeah, that it's, sounds it's, good. It's, yeah, and it's it's fair. Um, I I don't think this is anything we're going to you know, tell our kids about it someday. But still for MCU solid. Um Yeah, yeah. I think it for me it's all coaching it in the MCU standard of
1: it all. Right. So when I feel like I got something even a little different, or at least made me feel a little different, even if it's not actually that different, I just give it so much points because I'm comparing
0: it to the rest of the MCU. Yeah. And I think we're gonna have a similar conversation next week when we talk about Loki, especially as it's contrasted against Falcon and the Winter Soldier right before it. Um you know, after credits scene, you see Julia uh, Louis Dreyfus um, mm-hmm. coming back, and I forget what her uh, is. Valentina
1: de Fontaine, yeah, something Valentina like that. Valentina
0: Allegra de Fontaine. There we yes. go. Um, who's kind of like getting all the, uh, I don't know, tertiary characters in these right. movies and these series Wyatt
1: together. Now, US agent, yep. grabbed yep. at the end of Winter Soldier,
0: now, Elena. Interesting. It seems like she's obviously sending Elena uh, against Clint, which just seems to be setting things up for the Hawkeye TV show, I'd imagine.
1: Yeah, uh, no, that, that that was so funny about this post credit. It got like a big pop when uh, I saw in the theater from the rest of the crowd. But like, I already knew that this is what was going to be because Florence P was announced as part of the Hawkeye show yeah. publicly already. Like, we already knew this not even like a leak it just it was, it was announced so i was like all right this is obviously something about hawkeye i didn't expect to actually see uh valentina uh i guess it makes some sense though looking forward to that uh you know you have florence Pugh in the mcu now you better be using her because i guess we've said yeah. she's really good um <laughs> I think you know some of the I mean do you have anything else on the actual movie because there's some interesting uh movie industry notes about Black Widow
0: now that's actually out I guess I just wanted to ask like was there a set piece or like a action part of the movie that really stood out to you
1: yeah so I I did like the ending uh with you know the, the the tower in the sky space station thing in the sky uh not that it's that different from other third acts but I just thought it made sense it looked pretty good um, but i really like the prison break where they yeah. are busting harbor busting the red guardian out of prison even the lead up to that where he's like so like up his own ass about what the red guardian was and how he had all these battles with captain america the u.s versus the soviets right he did all this pride like the, the character obviously has played for laughs pretty consistently mm-hmm. um that's the purpose but i actually thought it was a pretty funny presence but yeah the thing with the helicopter you know the prison break that, that was a lot of fun
0: yeah, the prison break was probably my favorite. That and the opening scene, um, you know, where they're kind of running to that air base and right. trying to get on the plane. I thought that was a really fun opening scene. Um, any like non-action scenes that you really liked? Uh, I, I think the yeah. one that stands out for me is when they finally find Rachel Vice and they're all sitting down at the dinner table together. I think that stands out as a really fun scene. And I think a lot of just the interplay with Yelena um, and Natasha, um you know when they like which you find jelena and they have that fight and then the uh the rest of the what are they sparrows or whatever come uh
1: the other widows yeah
0: other widows yeah
1: very um, similar to red sparrow the jennifer lawrence movie in terms of yeah. the story of it all but yeah uh yeah i think all the dramatic scenes are quite strong largely due to Florence P's performance but i just think the script does a really good job of making everything land mm-hmm. so it was a lot of that stuff i i thought uh uh, Delena had some really funny moments right I, I love the stuff with the vest uh, I also loved how they kind of like were mocking uh, Black Widow's uh, posing when she would like land and stuff oh, yeah. that was that was really funny and then they called it back later um, in general Scar jo has previously criticized the overt sexualization of the Black Widow character in the early going starting with Iron Man 2 I think it's really awesome to see how far that's come, uh, even if it's a little unfortunate that we had to come that far at all. But yeah. I think they did a really good job of kind of handling that and also having a lot of levity connected to that kind of stuff in, mm-hmm. in, in Black Widow, the film. So, yeah, uh, the, the dramatic scenes, the character relationships, the family stuff, didn't expect it to land as much as it does. And if if it didn't land, it probably the movie would be a lot worse. But thankfully it does
0: for sure also uh william hurt looking a little frail in this hope he's okay yeah um yeah.
1: he just he doesn't he doesn't do much in marvel he just kind of kind of there you know i hope it's wild for him
0: you know yeah i just like that his whole thing is just like uh according to the sokovia accord you're going mm. yeah. those yeah. I,
1: I, I doubt they'd make him red hulk due to like the hoops uh, they have to jump through to make Hulk, Hulk stuff still yeah in film but that would be the uh,
0: ideal future for him. I'm sure his son who we haven't heard of will end up probably doing that someday but um, you mentioned that there's some industry notes let's hear them
1: yes yeah, so, I mean it breaks the domestic box office record uh, that F9 just set recently uh, with 80 million not a surprise but what was a surprise was that Disney Plus announced how much money they made off Disney Plus Premier Access after this weekend. $30 to rent the film at home on Disney Plus if you so choose. And they said they made $60 million on the first weekend. And that's less than the box office, but of course they don't have to split any of that money with the theater, so it's a different bit of calculus. And this bit of transparency it's just new with anything streaming, right? We all know how Netflix and everyone else will talk about minutes watch and households and it'll be over like a three-week span. This was our most consumed, blah, blah. It's just a bunch of nonsense statistics that are actually super vague and basically meaningless, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a big bit of frustration when you're trying to analyze anything. And Disney obviously has a motive when it comes to actually announcing a streaming thing because it's a positive result. It makes it look good and... I guess combining that with a box office that would be considered low during normal times per MCU standards, right? Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of like, you know, a little bit of fear mongering and worrying about the theaters with this. But I think it's quite clear that, that like just digital, even at that premium price point is still not enough to justify really expensive blockbusters. We know that. And now there's a lot of people saying that When you have a movie that would have tried to approach a billion dollars, and Black Widow probably wasn't a billion dollar movie, but it would have been, you know, high high several hundreds. When you cut the legs off its theatrical like that, you also manage to cut off its like post-theater run with VOD Mm -hmm. and stuff, and you're actually going to make less money down the line. So it's very interesting to see how this goes uh jungle cruise will be disney's next movie with premiere access coming at end of the month i have a feeling we're not going to know exactly how much that made on premiere access because it's not going to be an impressive number in all likelihood yeah it's no. a movie based on a theme park ride and not the 22nd <laughs> marvel movie you know kind of <laughs> obvious but i'd say let's not be too uh uh worried about theaters just yet because this is very much a one-off thing and we're still in a pandemic box office in many regards but interesting to see a rare bit of transparency in terms of streaming data
0: yeah i I saw this in theaters my a-list has been reactivated and being used again um it was an interesting experience you know i was only in the theater with uh four other people i went really late at night um i wore masks the whole time uh just because i felt better about that but movies are just better in the theater man like i, I get mm-hmm. that watching at home is so much more convenient but it really is just a much better experience sound seeing it on the big screen a lot more uh, engaging so um if you can go to the theater you feel safe just do it um i know uh, not going to be that way forever eventually we probably will be consuming things by choice either at home or in theater for everything but uh for right now support your, your local theater you can um any last thoughts on this dave
1: uh no no i think that's it you know i mentioned jungle cruise but also we never got any data for mulan or ryan the last dragon or cruella which also were premier access movies so until anything else substantial happens again i feel like this is more one-off than not and notably shang chi and legend of the ten rings the next marvel movie is strictly theater only come uh september 3rd labor day coming up quick
0: we're really moving into uh the newness of stage four now with marvel so where's this stage, right. five? stage five stage now it's
1: four it's four, four shang chi yeah. and eternals before the end of the year as well as uh the third spider-man no way home
0: we had two years off and now uh you know what four marvel movies
1: Ugh, as God. well as four in 2022 as well as a litany of shows both at the end of this year and next year yes it's all marvel all the time
0: and we're going to be talking about Loki next week. And what else are we going to be talking about?
1: Uh, yeah, the long-awaited question mark, Space Jam, A New Legacy. <laughs> yes. Starring the king, LeBron James, available on HBO Max, as well as at your theater. Uh, that, that'll that be interesting, at the very least. I know the embargo just broke on that. Uh, also, Loki, like you said, the end of Betty Season 2. New music from John Mayer, Willow, Claro, and some other stuff perhaps as well. Yeah, I think things are picking up, you know, looking at the calendar throughout the end of summer into the fall. the Content is back. The fears of running out have subsided for
0: good. Well, uh, hit that subscribe because you're going to want to stay tuned to all of it. We'll be doing our reviews of all of the aforementioned things, plus more in the future, as well as rankings what to be excited for our predictions. There's going to be a lot of stuff on the horizon from us. So stay tuned. Um, We'll see you next week.